I don't know how to start the show. La 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 la. Let's let's talk about Valentine's Day for a minute. You want to talk about Valentine's Day? Yeah. What do you want to say about Valentine's Day, Meredith? Why in God's name do we have Valentine's Day? It's a worthless holiday. It was literally created by Hallmark. What why 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 do you have to have a day that reminds you to love me? Because I think that's how a lot of modern marriages might work is that they sort of might forget that aspect and don't like have like a daily reminder. So you need to set aside a day and a greeting card company to give manager that and has been running with that ball for a hundred plus years. I don't know how long Valentine's Day. I don't either, around. but we didn't, we didn't research Valentine's Day. No, you know, I mean, you're right. I think also another reason is how else can you make single people feel awful? I know yeah. it makes let's, people feel bad. What's That's a better why way. I hate it. Yeah. I always hated this holiday because the kids at school, you know, they had those little cookie grams yeah. and I'm sure your mom bought you a whole bunch. So you were fine, but I didn't get any. Yeah. And it always made me feel really bad. So it's like, why would, why would you want a holiday that makes people feel bad? Yeah. Yeah. And, and you're a hundred percent right on that is that like this day is just soul crushing. Like if you've been single for a while or you yeah. just broke up, like it really is like, it's just a, a, a punch to the gut and I, it's just the way it has to be, I guess. I mean, I, to me, that's always been the thing about Valentine's day that has upset me the most as well. It's just such a terrible thing. If you happen to be single on that day, like you're an open target for jokes and everything like that. Yeah. Let's kick somebody while they're down, you know? So you have to try to salvage it or maybe make a Galentine's day, like uh, be a parks and rec. But, you know, it's one of those weird holidays that just keeps on coming at us no matter what. Like, there's nothing we can do to get away mm-hmm. from Valentine's Day. I mean, it, it's powerful and strong. Trust me, there's a lot of guys out there who, like, the one of the main goals in their year in a relationship is not to screw up Valentine's Day. Because it's a big deal. Yeah. It, yeah like, yeah. people at my work were freaked out that I don't like this holiday. But it's because I don't, I just never have. I yeah, never and, have. And you never really wanted to celebrate it, which, I mean, <laughs> hey, listen, I, that's fine by me. It means one less day. I, like, I don't have to go out there and buy overpriced roses from the side of the road or, or, or chocolates or anything like that. If anything, we've hit the day after chocolate-covered strawberry sale because <laughs> that's your favorite thing. And they're half off the day after. See, I... I don't know. We don't need to go into talk about holidays. I was just about to bring up another point, but. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Are you just going to use this Meredith takes down holidays? Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know what, Arbor Day? Go fuck yourself. No, I was going to say that Mother's Day is is a good holiday because Mother's and Father's Day, you like you do need a day where you're like, you know what? You're fucking awesome. You do all this shit all year long. Yeah. Here's yeah. something for well, that. Yeah, you need it for the kids to recognize because yeah. kids will just look at you as, as a cash machine that does whatever yeah, they need. Like my it's on you hand and foot. You know, and that, that's that's one thing you always have to draw the line as well to not just like be your kid's butler. Cause I can remember in high school there was a friend of mine and I don't I'm not gonna say his name because people back in my hometown listen. And he was just a huge dick to his mom. I mean, ordered her around. I mean, she waited on him almost literally hand and foot. Yeah. And he was just a massive jerk to her all the time. And she just was like, she thought he walked on water, so she would just do it or whatever. And like, she had like a bad knee and she was going upstairs uh, to go get like toys and stuff for her and bring them back downstairs. So it was always this interesting thing. I always felt, even then I, I felt bad for her, but you just need that day to sort of like people, people like, hey, hey. Throw a little love towards them. Yeah. Throw a little love towards your father. Let, let, let them know that they're appreciated. And yeah. Like Anyways, that a kid knows, it's a pretty damn thankless job. Like, no one's ever just like, hey, great job raising your kid. Nobody cares. 
<laughs> they only care if, if your kid brings a Molotov to school. Well, anyways, long diatribe to say that we did a Valentine's Day episode after yes. Valentine's Day. After Valentine's Day. Because we hate Valentine's Day so much, we didn't want to give it the respect. Yeah, and I mean, that's the that's my main issue about it right there. Is I didn't even bother to look it up on the calendar. I took one glance, and I thought, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, it'll fit in our schedule. I forgot. And then it, like when it didn't fit in the schedule, I didn't say, like, hey, let's let's get recording right now. Let's let's get going. Like, we never did that. It never happened. So that that was it. Oh, did I mention that, that we host a podcast? Did that come up? Yeah, yeah. Oh. Well, hello, everybody. Hello, hello. I'm Pedro, and this is Gritty Reboot. Yep. Today, we have a film from 1981 and 2009. Similar, but couldn't be more different. That is my bloody Valentine. Hell yeah. So, this is an interesting one for us because... I had never seen the original film. I haven't either. Yeah, you hadn't seen it either. And I I think the one thing that I was interested in this, I always heard people speak about it very highly. And so that had a ton of of interest for me. It's just one of those movies I never really got around to because I saw the remake when it came out and thought it was lukewarm at best. So this was an interesting endeavor to actually go and, and watch the movie. So we started off. Watch it on HBO Max, right? Yeah. Like we would normally do for any movie that we are looking for. And earlier in the day, I had just pinched a nerve in my shoulder. Mm-hmm. And I was um, in a lot of pain. Uh, like, uh, you know, I had some painkillers. Like, I was I, I was in a rough spot. And I, I didn't sleep well the night before because of some of the issues. So I think we get about 15 minutes in to this movie. And I pass out cold. Yeah. Like, I was gone. Like, she tried to wake me up. I stayed up another 10 minutes and just passed right out again. Like, I, I could not stay awake any longer. Well, to your credit, I mean, it was a boring movie. Well, I, and that's that's how I felt about it, you know, watching it. So, we missed our opportunity to watch it together. You did watch the movie, and I slept. And I was like, I will catch it one day. And I want you to know, listeners, for the briefest of moments, I thought about, what if I just didn't watch it and said I did? <laughs> But then I realized I would just be like, yeah, that's crazy. Basically during your entire section of the whole movie. So I set out to watch the movie and I did something foolish. I downloaded another copy of the film from somewhere that was maybe not as reputable as HBO Max. And what I got was something very cool. I got a director's cut. All right. Yeah, I got a director's cut. Because this movie is... Infamous for its real lack of gore, correct? Correct. I found a version that didn't have that problem, and I wasn't even looking for it. Nice. So I was able to watch this this movie with almost all of its original kills restored. Well, that's not fair. And I I, I didn't realize that that was a thing until probably the third or fourth kill that I was like, because the footage looks different. The footage looks different. So I had no idea that was going to come up. So I feel like we might have very different feelings about this movie. Yeah, that's not fair. Well, I mean, I know it may not be fair, but it wasn't what I was going for. It was a very unique experience. And, you know, once I once I got in the movie, I, I really did like it. But going back to the film itself, we were talking about 1981's My Bloody Valentine. Yeah. This is directed by George Mahaka, and this is a Canadian production. It stars Paul Kelman, uh, Laura Holler, Ben Affleck's father, Neil Affleck. And uh, John Franks. This was back in the early 80s, right post-Halloween, right? hmm Everybody is in a mad rush to make slasher movies. 
And one of the big things that you see happen in this time period is that there are tax incentives in Canada and the law wasn't particularly well written for film crews to take advantage of it. So there was nothing for them to say, moderate what kind of content could be used for a Canadian production that would cash in on those tax incentives. So once producers realized that they could make cheap horror schlock over the border and get tax incentives back in their pockets, the floodgates were on. And this is one of the earlier movies in that trend. Because I think before this, a couple of Jamie Lee Curtis movies had come out, uh, also Canadian productions, uh, Prom Night the year before in 1980, and Terror Train. I think we've seen both of those. We'll have to cover Prom Night one day. And I think they did reboot Terror Train as well, but I've I've never seen the original or anything like that. So So this led to this period that, that we've gotten right here. And My Bloody Valentine, even without the changes in the different versions that we might have seen, to me, the film reminded me of another film that we'd reviewed previously, and that's Black Christmas, because it feels uniquely Canadian. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, kind of a strange thing. And, and no, it's not the killer ran around saying sorry, you know, as he stabs people or, or hits them with a pickaxe. Like, this movie has some character to it, right? Like, there's, it's certainly not generic. Even if the characterization don't always work, it's there, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you can name some things about, like, Happy and some of the other characters that show up in the movie, right? Like they have little character traits that kind of bleed into it. It's not a very typical or sanitized script or anything like that, in my opinion. And I think that's one of the things that I started to enjoy about the movie. Cause I even mentioned that when we first started watching, I said, like, movie's got a lot of character. Remember I said, yeah, that. you said it like three or four times. Yeah. And, and, and that's what I was talking about. It was just kind of like black Christmas is a little bit of like character and some uh, flavor in the screenplay. What was pushing through. Now, that doesn't absolve this movie, but I thought it was something very interesting, the note that reminded me of that better movie. I wish I would have gotten to see that. I, I had no idea. Because that really was part of the reason why I didn't like the movie is the gore was like cut away. Yeah, it's like a 1950s movie or, or even, not even like you wouldn't even see this kind of cut done on TV because it was basically like a 1950s version of the film. Somebody would come up to, you know, the killer would come up and the miner would begin to throw the pickaxe in and it would just cut away. Right. Immediately cut to the next. Exactly. Thing. So the reason why you have so many of those cutaways for the original cut is the MPAA cut more than five minutes out of this movie. Yeah, because it's not that much longer. It's like four extra minutes of stuff is what's in it. Mostly because it was released shortly after John Lennon's death. Yeah, a very strange reason, but it, it, it's very odd to think about that a news story would stick around that much. But in the 80s, the news cycle did move slower. It was John Lennon. Yeah, and, and, and it was it was John Lennon. He was like yeah. one of the most famous people on the planet was shot. So yeah, that, that story stuck around a little bit. So people were a little hesitant about violence. It's happened before. There's been some movies that have been edited and moved around due to Columbine or 9-11. That was, it was a Tim Allen movie that... Almost got canceled because it was about a bomb on a plane. So this movie, it has a lot to do with mining. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's it. it is all about a mining community. I thought that was interesting. An interesting s- set for yeah. uh, a horror movie. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of perfect because mines are claustrophobic and they're dark. Yeah, they're they real nasty places. And they're if, dangerous yeah. and all the, the above. Yeah, they're, they're not a place you, you, you want to be. And you're certainly not a place you want to be when someone's lost their mind. Yeah. And so the movie very early on covers probably one of the most terrifying things people could imagine, which is a cave-in and getting trapped inside yeah. a mine. And I think it's a pretty cool little sequence where they talk about everybody getting trapped and Harry having to basically kill and eat everybody to stay alive. Yeah. And to survive the the time he was down there trapped before they could rescue him. 
and the whole thing, you know, drove him, drove him mad. And listen, as far as like slasher origin stories go, that's a pretty solid one. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I probably want to kill my boss too. You know? And so he comes back and he, he kills his, uh, it's a year later after the incident and he comes back and he kills his boss. And I think he kills the mayor. Yeah. He kills the mayor. That's right. The mayor. And so you get to see this and he's, he's, he's put away or so we believe and then, because all he wants to do is stop Valentine's Day, because that's when the whole thing occurred. And he has the signature of, you know, killing somebody and putting their heart inside of a Valentine's Day candy box. Mm-hmm. A nice touch, by the way. Even though the heart effect is not particularly well done. It still is something that icon- that's iconic that's very much this movie. So, yeah, he wants to stop all Valentine's Day activities, including the dance, which is pretty much how we come into the movie, correct? Yeah. is There's some teenagers that, that want to have a dance because that's the formula, right? We, we are very much deep in that slasher formula. It's really strange, like, sometimes when the formula of a certain movie is made, all these slasher movies that are made in this era, like Friday the 13th and Prom Night, they're all about something that happened, like, 20 years ago or 10 years ago, resurfacing now, and that's the killer's motivation in some way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. They all have that plot element. Uh, Friday 13th probably does it the best out of all those. And same thing with its, its twist. You know, Prom Night's kind of whatever. <laughs> but, and, and this movie is, uh, I mean, I, I, think, I think it's fine where the movie ends up going, you know, with that kind of story. But where it begins is far more interesting to me. Because as I watched it, I kept thinking like, wow, that seems like a much cooler movie about like that guy who survived all that stuff and had to eat people to stay alive and went insane. And it's sort of a shame the movie isn't necessarily about that, except for a few minutes to set up all our shenanigans. See, he goes about killing teens, right? Yeah. So why does the movie start off with a, like, naked, topless girl in a mine? That's right, yeah. Like, he spends time with her. Yeah. He spends a lot of time with her before he kills her. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I was like, okay, so I guess this is a minor getting his rocks off. Yeah. But no, it was Harry. Yeah. And he... I just didn't get, yeah, to me, I didn't it's just get that scene. Yeah, scene added for titillation and, you know, one extra just kill. Just a in topless movie. chick. Yeah, that's pretty much it. I mean, there's pretty shameless reasons to insert a topless chick into a movie, but that by far is probably one of the more shameless. She's just kind of there. Just to, She's just this, there. doesn't make any sense at all. Nope. Doesn't make any sense. It happens, it goes, and, and that's it. And that kill is the same on both versions, I do believe. Yeah. Because, by the way, on my version, the all the kills were like really washed out. They very little saturation in the color. They're clearly like from a different source. And that scene didn't have it. Yeah, you're still really mad that that happened. Yeah. Yeah, you're still really yeah. 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 I, I just wasn't intentional. Because I would have probably enjoyed the movie a little bit. <laughs> so we have everything that leads up to the whole event, but the, the movie itself is, is pretty simple, right? Because if we're not talking about the police investigation and trying to figure out what's going on, the only other real story of substance is the love triangle, right? Yes. And that's uh, that's Tom, Axel, and Sarah, correct? Yep. It's not an engaging love story. It's just kind of there. Tom went away for a little bit to make something of himself. It didn't work out, and his old girlfriend's dating Axel. Yeah. There's not much more to it than that backstory I just gave you, but the movie keeps kind of circling back to it over and over again. It's not really engaging. Like I, I, felt, I, I felt I saw a better version of this movie, but I still didn't really love this movie. But I, I did kind of like it. I did kind of like it. And once again, I, I know you, you're shooting daggers at me with your eyes because one of the things I did like was this movie's got kick-ass gore. It really does. It, there's a, a sequence, I think it's happy, he gets a pickaxe like right through the bottom of his chin and it pops his eye out. 
And the effect looks fantastic for 1981. Hmm. The woman who's killed in the laundromat? Yeah. That's another one. You see a lot more of her charred corpse. See, I bet that was a good kid. Yeah. That, because it looked like it was until they cut it away. A character at the end of the film, he's in glasses, kind of chubby. In the theatrical cut, he just kind of comes around a corner bleeding, right? Uh-huh. They're like, oh, I guess he's dead with no explanation. And in that one, you can see him getting shot in the face with a nail gun. That's not even losing gore. Without that context, the next sequence is just strange. And there's no connection to like the danger that character's in. An incredible disservice to this film was done by the MPAA. Because I think this would have been a movie you would have liked because you do enjoy old school slasher sensibilities. And I think to rob this movie of one of those main elements is a travesty because I'm going to come away from this movie as a solid seven out of 10. I don't have nostalgia for it. And I think it's a little cheesy, but man, I dig that character in it. And poof, boy, the gore's great. Yeah. I would probably rate, rate it about a four out of a 10. Yeah. And, and that that's fair. Like I said, I, I did fall asleep during it and, and having another chance to watch it. I appreciated it a little bit more, but it still does have its problems. Like I said, you're really only dealing with those two storylines. And, and I guess let's we, let's talk about the resolution here. We're, we're, we've already talked about this movie for about 10 minutes. So eventually we do reveal that the mayor's son, Tom, is the killer, correct? Yes. Because Harry killed his father right in front of him. And did the theatrical cut have the blood splashing on his face from each pickaxe coming down? No. Oh, yeah. So he's like as like eight years old into the bed. Blood's just like splashing his face over and over again as he watches it. And you can see the madness like overtake him. And it, you know, it comes into play. I mean, sure, it's a solid setup for him to eventually be revealed as the killer. And probably in theatrical cut, it's just another scene that happens with this movie. It's robbed of its importance. You know, the 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 teeth are pulled right out of it by the MPAA. Or whoever ended up having to be cut. It might not have been the yeah. MPAA at that point. But you you mean you understand whoever made the decision on having to cut this thing down just did such a damn disservice to it. How do you feel about the movie's pacing? I've seen glaciers move quicker. <sighs> Yeah, the movie, like I said, I mean, they're throwing a party. There's a love triangle. There's a little bit of investigation. But all in all, like, these things are just kind of floating there. Uh, the minor occasionally runs around. You know, he does his kills and things like that. But the, the movie isn't really concerned about getting anywhere quickly. So can I have a, a morbid moment? Sure. Okay. Brace yourself. All right. I'm bracing. <laughs> all right. In the laundromat scene uh-huh. with, with the the corpse that comes out of the... They keep talking about the smell. Yeah. Right? Uh, what do you think that smelled like? Like, a, a, oh, man. I, I can only imagine. Because I was thinking about this the other day because I was watching like a, a Reddit video and there had been a factory that exploded. And I was like, it can't be that bad. And this guy was kind of smoking. He turned around and like the other half of his body was charred. And I was like, oh, my God. And as I, I went to the comments right after and the original, per, the original poster, the OP, he had said, the smell is something I'll never forget. And like, I just sort of thought about like, like ruined barbecue meat or like that one time Tony Padilla made raccoon meat and he threw that on the pit and the smell that came off of it. I was like, humans got to be like worse than that. Right. And the existential horror of like a person's flesh is something you're smelling. Yeah. That's got to be just horrible. Cause it's a laundry mat. So it's got a laundry smell. Yeah. So it's, it's, you know, it's wet. It's mildewy in there. Yeah. Yeah. So she's, you know, and she's been slowly cooked in that thing. Slowly. Morbid moment. Very morbid. No, I mean, we we can talk about the kills. Like I said, I talked about the the eyeball thing. I thought that was really well done. I'll, uh, I'll I'll try to put together a compilation for you. Cause uh, there's one on YouTube. I think you can, you can watch. 
Okay, where great. they put together all the kills. And I think you would come away with a better appreciation. I, I think so. Yeah, I give it a recommend. I really do. That's why I was so mad. Yeah, if you, if, yeah, if you, I know. She, she's calm now, but it's not my fault. I didn't know. It wasn't until I was like, damn, man, this was gory than I thought. And then, like, that third kill popped out. I was like, wait a minute, this footage looks completely different. And that's when I put it together. I started doing some Googling and found out for 2009, when they made the remake, they pushed out this version of the movie. And that, that's what it was. I think this is just a special feature on like the Blu-ray of the 2009 movie. But yeah, that, that's all it is. And like I said, we'll, we'll check it out. It's pretty good. I do give the movie a solid recommendation. I really think you should check it out, especially if you love old school Friday the 13th or things like I talked about Terror Train or Black Christmas. I, I think there's something like you really, you, you might enjoy in this, in this movie. And like I said, it's got enough character that comes through to make it interesting. There's like a nice camaraderie or friendship really between the characters that a lot of movies just really struggle with. This movie does easily. I wonder, okay, so this is Quentin Tarantino's favorite slasher movie film. Really? His favorite? His favorite slasher film. Huh. So I was shocked by that. So I wonder if he saw the director's cut. I, well, it would not have been available before 2009. Damn. Yeah, it would never have been available before 2009. So I wonder why he likes that movie so much. I'm not saying he could, he, he might not have ever seen that. I mean, somebody had to have had the footage. Whoever was in charge of it, so they didn't, they didn't have it. And when they did the remaster of the movie, they were like, oh shit, here it is. You know, they just, they just found it and they were able to show it. So that, that might've been the first time. I don't know. But for it to be his favorite, you know, without the gore, I, I, would, I mean, hell, put me to sleep. So, you know, what's that say? So it's just something you sort of need in this kind of movie, like a nice level of gore. This the version I saw had it, and so I came away. I came away really, really digging this movie. And like I said, that's not something I can always say. Well, I got a, one interesting fact before we move on to the sure, sure. new movie. The location of the shoot was Sydney Mines, Nova Scotia. They closed it for its rustic. They chose it for its rustic appeal. When the town discovered they were going to shoot there, the town spent fifty thousand dollars to have the mine painted and cleaned. <laughs> this defeated the purpose of choosing the shoot where to shoot. Yeah. So they had to spend $75,000 out of the budget to get it back to its original state. <laughs> uh, they thought, Oh, they're going to use our mic. We got to have them looking spiffy. Yeah. We got to go out there. We got to get the Mr. Clean. We got to get the brooms. And they, they went all out. They cleaned it up and they get there. Like, where's the dirty piece of shit mines that we were looking for. The budget on this movie was two point three million. It made five point seven million. Even in nineteen eighty one numbers, that's, that's not great. Yeah, yeah, that's you. You want to at least double your budget. And like I said, this when I I found that number two, and I was kind of surprised it was that high. I really was. I was really surprised that this movie ended up costing uh, that kind of money. But yeah. So with that being said, there are no sequels to uh, My Bloody Valentine. The movie sat dormant for a number of years until 2009 when we got ourselves a remake. Yep. Exactly what did you see? Something was following us. This is the most horrific event this town has ever seen. Authorities are calling this the Valentine's Day Massacre. In the town of Harmony. Like I said, in 2009, we got the official title, My Bloody Valentine 3D. Come here, you better check this out. What is it? Directed by Patrick Lussier, uh, written by Todd Farmer, 
starring Lindsay Rue, Tom Atkins, the legend himself, Jamie King, Kerr Smith, and Jensen Eccles. So right off the bat, I love how this movie starts. Yeah. It starts as a gory fucking mess. And I love that. Yeah. You have Harry Warden, who is in a coma. He wakes up from his coma. And he just destroys a whole floor of a hospital. Yeah. Yeah, no, that 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 is some over-the-top kind of gore. It reminded yeah. me, weirdly enough, of the Black Christmas remake, where I thought it had a lot of gore just for the sake of it. But it was done in a good way, because the movie isn't just overflowing with gore. It yeah. really isn't. It, it, it's Despite how it starts, it's not a, an overly gory movie. But, I mean, that, that is a, an interesting way to start the movie. To me, I was initially put off by the opening after watching a little bit of the first movie. Because the movie just kind of speed runs the original movie, mm-hmm. basically. We don't even get like a flashback. Because first of all, they cut out the cannibalism. I don't know if you noticed that. Yeah. Harry no longer eats them. He only no. murders them for oxygen. Yeah. He kissed them and sucked the oxygen out of their body. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I thought of when he said, we needed the oxygen. I was like, oh, there's oxygen everywhere, man. You might as well eat them while you're, if you went that far. Why not go further? Um, so that's cut out. And like I said, that's an interesting thing. And we never see that at all. We're only told about it in newspaper clippings and from uh, I, another news broadcast. So we don't get to see any of that. So that's, to me, like a strike against it. You know, you already get away from the more interesting elements of the movie. And basically, we're introduced to our main cast, Kerr Smith, Jensen Eccles, and Jamie King. And there are a bunch of 30-year-olds playing teenagers because we're eventually going to move 10 years in time and we're yeah. finishing the speed run of the first movie. It's the same party at the end and the killer comes back and, and basically have wreaks havoc. My favorite kills of this movie, which is the shovel kill where they're all partying out in the mine. Harry comes back and he shoves a hand shovel through somebody's freaking face. It was very cool. Pretty cool. And it slides down. You know, we have got- seen it before, but sure. There's another, I think there's another version of it in like wrong turn. Yeah. Emmanuel Shrieky, she gets like the top of her head chopped off and it does a nice crane shot. Do you see her body falling down? This is an interesting shot actually, because you know, for this movie, we had a little something interesting that we don't normally have. We had the old physical copies. A, a friend of yours actually lent us the DVDs and there wasn't a whole lot really on the original film, but the second one had a few behind the scenes elements and it had um, the effects guy who basically built a whole head for that. He built everything from the shovel, the head practical. And like it was supposed to slide down and looked really good. And at the end of the day, they ended up covering it with CG. Yeah. So, and I I think it looks okay. Gary J. uh, Tunnicliffe, by the way, is is the name of that effects guy, the way he described it and the way it looked without any lighting, I was like, Oh, it looks pretty badass. So, and then that's another thing. And that does happen. You know, people got really obsessed with CG and everything like that. So they just try to pump it and everything to try to make things look better. And sometimes you end up making things look worse. We'll go into that big time when we cover the thing. But that's a good example of it here. It was also, it was nice to watch some old school special features. I forgot what a, a lost art that is now. I know. You, you I miss it. Yeah, you don't really get that with Blu-ray sometimes. Sometimes you do. I you used know. to watch all of that. Yeah. And I, I like I listened to a little bit of director commentary on the original film and it wasn't very good, but I always remembered, I used to appreciate watching a movie and then listening to director commentary. If I really liked it or if I really hated it, you know, sometimes it was interesting. I used to remember little facts of like Arnold Schwarzenegger was maybe the worst guy to ever do a commentary track. Just well, the, they're super huge. Uh, my friends are super huge horror fans. Mm-hmm. So if I'll mention it to them and maybe we can borrow some more movies. Yeah, no, it was another great resource, you know, because I, 
I went to some went to YouTube, always looking for more resources, and I, like I couldn't find those special features. So I've ripped them, and I'm going to upload them to YouTube. So if anybody else one day wants to cover the movie properly, they can have access to that footage because it's only going to get harder and harder to find an old DVD. Yeah. You know, I'm sure there's a lot of them around right now, but trust me, the guys thought VHS would last forever, and that's not the case. So we go 10 years later from the tragedy of all the teens getting killed in the mine. Yeah. We only have the, the our main cast survives, and that's it. People in the town still blame him. Even so he, now, he now, now that, is, that is different. He did screw up. His whole, his screw up, he forgot to bleed the mines, and that's what led to the cave-in. Yeah. And th- that is different from what happened in the original. So, and because of that, I, I, he actually does carry some blame. I mean, this is his fault. I didn't look at it that way. Well, I mean, if he'd have done his job, they wouldn't have been trapped there. I mean, he didn't go in there and, like, hit everybody in, with a pickaxe in the head, but he got them trapped. He almost got them. Well, I mean, he would have got them all killed, basically, because oxygen. The only reason one person survived is because he went insane and killed everybody. Otherwise, they all would have died down there, and every single death would have been on his head. Mm. Yeah. That does make this movie a little bit different than the original film in its bad guy reveal. But we'll get there in a little bit. Let's let's keep going down the movie before I talk about the ending. Spoilers. Harry gets locked in a cage. Eventually, Harry. Yeah. Not Harry. Jensen Eccles. Jensen Eccles. Yeah. yeah. Soldier boy. He gets, he gets locked in a cage. Yeah, he gets locked in a cage. And he watches others kill. He watches Harry kill. Yeah, he watches Harry come out there and just lay waste to the miner. And he makes like a big show of it, just like, you know, pickaxing this guy over and over again. Pickaxe, by the way, very good weapon to use. Very good. As a slasher weapon goes, that's yeah. pretty solid. I think that's that's a good one that is is not used more. Uh, it should be used a lot more in movies than it really is. What do you think the motivation of Harry is? Well, Harry's just gone in, insane. That's all. I guess that's the weird thing about the minor character is as, as much as people sort of talked him up, there's not really a lot to him. You know, he got trapped in a mine. He's angry about it. Came back and killed some people. And, you know, in the first movie, the first movie's twist is less satisfying, I think. Because, yeah, I mean, he saw it, but there isn't a lot that happened to him that could lead to all that trauma that would make him do all those things to kill people. So I think that kind of twist in that movie is a little a, a little hollow. Even if I do love in the original movie, him running away, cackling as he cut his arm off. <laughs> You'll be my bloody Valentine. Like, that's pretty cool. This movie, because of what you just talked about, gives better pathos to the twist that occurs where we eventually find out our lead character is. Yeah. Is Harry. And, uh, you know, if you look at it from that perspective, like the trauma that he causes does stick with the protagonist of this movie a lot more than what was ever in the original. So I think that is one nice element of writing in this movie. And that's going to be one of the few times I'm going to compliment this movie because that's, I mean, that is something that I did like he's revealed to be the bad guy. He sees Harry coming up from behind his former girlfriend, Jamie King. And he's like, he's right here. Shoot him, shoot him, shoot him. He just kind of walks through the scene and then you realize only he can see him. And I thought that was... Yeah, you're jumping to the end. Yeah, I'm jumping to the end. Well, I, I, I've, I've already danced around the topic like four times. I might as well talk about it. We can always go back and talk about this stuff. I, I like that scene in the movie because it's a great way to pay all that stuff off like we just talked about with that trauma. And then like the movie just goes and shats it all away. Yeah. Yeah, he, it really... You like, have he, a like, bad ending. Yeah, he, he, like, he just dissolves away in a pretty cheesy... Just I mean, it's just a regular dissolve. There's no effect to it. He just kind of goes away. And then Kerr Smith is like, it was you the whole time. 
you're Harry. And he's like, I am. Like, you are? Like, make, like, all of a sudden, it's a possession sort of thing? And the movie just drops it like that. No big deal. So, to go back to Harry yeah. being in the cage earlier in the yeah. movie, so does that just go... And that's, that's another reason I want to talk about that is because, like, they show, and I went back and watched it again, they show in the flashback that he shuts the door really hard. Yeah, like, that's he not bends the what thing. what happens. Like, it shows Jensen Eccles in there shutting it hard, and that's all he does. While he looks evilly and smiles at the dead body. But I was like, no, no, no. The, the cage was like bent. Yeah, it was You bent. couldn't have done that. And the movie just kind of ignores that fact. So we can have the twist. Yeah, because when they go to get him out of the cage, the guy has to rebend the bar again. Yeah, yeah. They show a shot of it specifically. Exactly. That he has to bend that thing it out of the way. It drives me fucking crazy yeah, when movies do this. Yeah, this is, I mean, the, the twist is a bit more of a cheat. Like I said, I, that's why I wanted to mention, I like the pathos that went to that decision because he does carry that trauma. He really does. But I mean, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it doesn't mean anything in a movie this trashy and dumb. One of the other things that I didn't like about this movie is the fact that Harry just teleports wherever he feels like it. So it's very lazy writing. Yeah, he's got a case of like Friday the 13th part eight. Like that's a, if you watch that movie, Jason is flat out one end of the boat. They run. He's all at the other end. Yeah. No explanation. And this movie's kind of similar about that. Harry's kind of popping in and out just showing up really wherever the story kind of needs him. Every now and then some momentum does pick up and there can be nice elements to like a chase. This isn't like a pure awful kind of movie. It, it just isn't. But most of these scenes are pretty underwhelming and poorly directed. And there's a lot of a lot of 3D that's being shoved at you that doesn't do anything anymore. Yeah. So I guess let me talk about that because I actually went and saw this movie when it came out. I want to take it back to 2009. This movie came out late January uh, to take advantage of Valentine's Day. So everyone should know Avatar comes out that later that same year, 2009, in December. So Avatar is not out, but people are hungry. For 3D. The effect is pretty cool. There wasn't a way to fake it at the time. So people were actually shooting in 3D. And this movie was actually shot in 3D. It was a pair of red ones combined together. Or uh, the SI2Ks, which is an older 16 millimeter format camera. Uh, very small and lightweight because you have to, like I said, put two cameras together. And that's how they shot the movie. And because of that, the 3D effects are very, very good in the theater. Obviously, it has. I have not seen the movie since 2009 that way. So the 3D effects are pretty glaring, but it's not as bad as like Friday the 13th Part 3 or a lot of other 80s 3D movies. It doesn't really go to that level, but it, it is pretty apparent. Yeah. So it's just one of the things to take away from it. Also, because of all that digital tech that they used at the time, and they didn't really understand a lot of that, the movie does look very poor today. There is a lot of lighting that isn't quite right. When people move, the motion looks very video-like, and that, that's all coming from the 3D conversion and then to make it all 2D back again. You know, it just it gives the movie such a cheap digital look. And it's a shame, too. There is some nice moments of cinematography in it, but a lot of it's undercut by how they chose to shoot the movie. This movie was the first R-rated film in the U.S. projected in Real D technology. Yeah, yeah, and that's, that's a big deal for it. That, that's, what, that's what made it a hit. So uh, one other thing that I liked about this movie was the character Betsy Rue. Now, if you ha don't know who Betsy Rue is, she is the naked girl who runs around in the parking lot. Probably the most gratuitous nude scene in a Hollywood movie that I could ever think I of. I love it. Yeah, no, I, she actually wanted to do it, correct? Yeah, I, yeah. I, I was just about to yeah. say that. she. It was her idea to be naked. It was her first nude scene ever. 
they were great, by the way. They were just going to have her hold a sheet. Like when she was going out of the hotel room, yeah. she was just going to grab a sheet and cover herself with that. But it kept looking really hokey and she yeah, kept feeling, it doesn't, it doesn't make a lot of she sense. kept fumbling with it. So she was like, what I don't I just do is balls to the wall. Like her quote on this was really great. I wish I would have wrote it down, but it, it was really great. She was just like, I'm just going to go balls to the wall and see how it goes. And I really love it. It's, um, it's, yeah, it's one of the movies better seen. She was right. It does lend a sense of vulnerability. Yeah. The only issue with it is the mo- this is probably one of the trashier slasher movies that come out of Hollywood probably since like the eighties, you know, cause this movie does have sort of a trashy, like they don't want you to see this kind of movie. They think it's bad for you, but you know, weirdly enough, the movie also takes so pretty seriously in how the mystery folds out. Yeah. Like I think Kurt Smith Sirius does a, is a heart attack. Kurt Smith does a nice job as the sheriff, but like, he's almost out of a different movie. <laughs> like his storyline is about having an affair and this baby that might come, this baby that's going to come from his mistress and him trying to find out who the killer is when the rest of the movie is all this other wacky whack to do Betsy Rue, you know, f- you know, flying around out there with her tits out. Yeah. You know, like it just doesn't fit the rest of this movie. And I give her all the credit in the world. She did look fantastic. It's the movie standout scene. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's had people talking about it for a long time, longer than it really should have. By the way, the writer uh, is the guy she's actually with in that scene. Yeah. And fun fact, he also wrote Jason X. Yeah. Yeah, he wrote Jason. He's not a great screenwriter. All, all that I had on here. Oh, all that you had on there? Well, you, listen, you I, you know, I told you that. I told you who he was. So that's my fact. Wow. <laughs> I have listened to the commentary track on Jason X. Step on my toes. Yeah. Hey, listen, when you listen to Jason X commentary track and learn about Todd Farmer, then, then you get all that fact. Otherwise, that belongs to me, baby. Whatever, yeah. whatever dude. <laughs> oh, and just like that, the podcast is over. This film was made into a haunted house at Universal Hollywood Horror Nights. I imagine it was probably a terrible ride. I would assume so. Well, it doesn't really matter. There's been some... La- we went to Universal Studios Horror Nights. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we, we had some fun, even though there, there was some movies. Well, we like Resident Evil. I enjoyed that, actually. Yeah, I actually really did. I, I really liked Universal Studios. That was a fun experience. Universal Studios was the shit. Yeah, I did not expect to like that as much as I did. I, I wish I had Disney seen- World. Yeah, Disney was the one that sucked. Yeah, Disney. Yeah, sucked. we got bled dry, and Universal. We had the Harry Potter uh, experience. We don't even like Harry Potter, <laughs> and we thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, we thought that was that pretty ride cool. was awesome. Yeah, that was that was that was that was that's what I wanted from like. Well, they used to have the Back to the Future ride there too, but that that's the Simpsons ride now. So I really wish I could have seen the Back to the Future ride, but the dude, the Simpsons ride was actually pretty cool because I don't think that's there anymore either. Huh? Yeah, I think that's gone too. We can get to a whole diatribe about roller coasters that are gone from places and uh, you can't see anymore. Sidetrack. Yeah, I would say this, this is a, Squirrel a, moment. a great tangent to get onto. So, uh, yeah, My Bloody Valentine was a movie in two. Oh, no, we already did the intro. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think about the cops? Oh, this gives me a great chance to talk about one of my favorite actors, Tom Atkins. So he is in this movie and he is in a ton of genre cinema playing cops or badasses. Uh, he's also been a ton of horror work. Night of the Creeps is one of my favorites from him. I, I really love that movie. One day we'll, we'll talk about Night of the Creeps, even though it's not a reboot. I just want to talk about Night of the Creeps. I, I love that movie. And he's in it, and he's awesome. He was supposed to be the uh, Murtaugh character, or the, pardon me, I get them confused. He was supposed to be the Mel Gibson character in Lethal Weapon. Huh. Yeah, so the, he has a, a lot of range, and he shows up in this movie. He's old as shit, but he can still maintain that that toughness that he would need to be the former sheriff, right? He does pull that role off effortlessly, and, and I like that. He's so much fun. And then you have the other half, 
which is kind of a weird, serious investigation with Kerr Smith and his detectives as they're trying to like track down leads and stuff like that. Find where Harry was like this. The movie does have a, a, a mishmash of tones that really works against it. I, I think if the movie was trashier and funner and funnier, I think that could really work to its advantage. And that's one thing. The cop storyline really shows you those two movies kind of clashing together and not really fitting, sadly. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a real shame. Cause like I said, Kurt Smith's not an actor. I compliment a lot, but I thought, I thought he was really good here, but you know, just not really in the right kind of movie. What do you think about the kills? They're all right. Yeah. They're very run of the mill. Yeah. There's a lot of lousy CG put on top of things. Yeah. At least it's gory though. It is very gory, but you know, I think the studio wanted things to appear more 3d. So they took a 3d effect that they had on set of a person who was real with like a prosthetic on his face and they put a 2d image on it and said, that's more 3d. And so that's what we get. We get a lot of CG and stuff like that. And you do replicate some of the kills. We have somebody in a, a dryer and the kill I told you about in the first movie with the eyeball coming out, that's done way better in the original movie, way better. So they're, they're fine. They're not particularly offensive or anything like that. The movie just has a general sense of crumminess to it. And then the soundtrack is very run of the mill as well. Yeah, that's what you'd get from that time. Yeah, movie, you know? it's very generic. Yeah, and I mean, well, you know, we we have a protagonist, and he's not very likable. And I, I know I've talked about him a bit already, but it's just something to note. Like, he's never a guy you're rooting for. Like, you know, he's and I understand it's because he has to be the bad guy. But when I think of that, I always like, well, he doesn't have to be the bad guy. You could just yeah. write something else. Because of that, it's tough to stay with an unlikable, uncaring protagonist for that long. The love story doesn't, I think the love triangle here is somehow worse because I mean, she's already married and has kids. First of all, Jamie, <laughs> Jamie King care, shouldn't care about her kid at all. Never shows up and I never, know, right? not of any importance not at like all. She even has a kid and she's awful in this. We just awful. Yeah. The it. acting is really bad. Yeah. She, Jamie King's particularly lousy. She's a model turned actress. She turned a lot of heads in Michael Bay's Pearl Harbor where she kind of stole every scene she was in. She's really good. And so she got an opportunity to, to make as an actress and it, it never really happened, but you know, we, we see her here. We're going to have to talk about her again in the silent night remake, which she's much better in, but she, she's in that one as well. And like I said, she's in this one. The most notable things from her were the ridiculous padded bra she wore in the opening scene. Yeah. I mean, like she gave Angelina Jolie a run for her money in the amount of padding in a bra that we've covered on this, on the show. Yeah. Like when I just kind of noticed it, like why you're not, why did you do that? But, you know, other than that, there's not a whole lot to the love triangle on this one. Just kind of spin your wheels. I have a couple more facts here. Okay. Minor tilts his head, right? The minor killer tilts his head. Yeah. Before and after kills. That's a nod to Michael Myers. Makes sense. Film came out the same year as Halloween 2, so. Uh, the other thing is, is you would never have guessed who turned down this movie? Oh my God. Who turned it down? Sherry Moon Zombie. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Right up her alley. And she said no. She said She'd have been no. the Jamie King character, I guess? Yeah, or, I guess. Or she, maybe she'd done the nudity part. Well, it no. Did, it didn't she wouldn't say, have done the nudity. But yeah. And she might have been that part. Well, what a shame. She could have been in that. She, I, I, I'm trying to think if I've seen her in anything non zombie. No, she's never done it. Yeah, but That's say, why I, she I, turned it down. She, she, can my husband direct it? It might have been a better choice, in all honesty. Actually, I think this is the kind of movie Zombie would have nailed really easily. Zombie got the worst remake he could do in Halloween. Because that's kind of a classier picture. And like, if you'd have given him... If he'd have had this movie to do, or maybe... Or even better for him, Texas Chainsaw, like a movie that fits his sensibilities, that would have worked. I guess we can lament over what, what a better film that could have been made. But there, there's one other thing I wanted to say before we moved into the reviews. 
is that this was a $14 million movie, pretty modest budget at the time, made $100 million, just over $100 million. 100.7 million. Yeah, I said just over. And that is a massive number, a massive number. And it is amazing this movie does not have any sequels. Yeah. I think to me, that's the, the strangest thing about it is you, you more than, I mean, you more than triple your profit and you never try to make another one of these. They, they, the director was ready to come back. Jensen Eccles and Jamie King were signed on for another movie and farmer wrote a script and the studio lost interest and decided to move on. And that was it. So we, we never, listen, I'm not saying we should have got sequels, but it's really weird that we didn't. Yeah. And the things that get sequels, I mean, for fuck's sake, I've seen the boy too. How the fuck did that get a goddamn sequel? Oh. But we, these two movies never really became a franchise. And that's very strange to me. All right. Moving into the reviews. So my bloody Valentine 81, both these movies, by the way, didn't have a user review score. So we're just going to go with the Rotten Tomatoes and IMDb. Sure. So the 81 uh, movie, 56% on Rotten Tomatoes, 6.2 on IMDb. I would have rated that lots lots lower. My Bloody Valentine 09, 61% on Rotten Tomatoes, 5.4 on IMDb. So people liked, based on Rotten Tomatoes, people liked this one more. Oh, do they? Mm -hmm. Okay. So here's a one-star review. I saw this film recently, and I was not particularly impressed. Slasher films are by nature films that rarely turn out to be remarkable. Even though they quickly conquer a small legion of fans who give them cult status, this film did not even prove to be truly good slasher film, largely due to a rather weak script and total lack of environment. Everything happens in the small town of Valentine where the main celebration is, as it could not be otherwise, Valentine's Day. This city is a small mining community around an important mine. One day, there is an accident and Harry Ward and a miner goes crazy and kills a number of colleagues and people, forcing the city to cease to celebrate their party. From then on, the urban legend was born that not now will take on a new life with the initiative led by local youth to reactivate the festivities. This film has a lot of problems. George Mahalka was an inept director who did not know how to use the the film the best of the film to build a tense and sinister environment. Rude, but accurate. Where the dark and damp tunnels of the mine were more than excellent places for couples to meet and occasionally drink. The film never really scares us, even with all the gore. It has an uninteresting script where characters' romances are are of no interest at all. Harry Warden's story with little touches of madness and cannibalism sound too far-fetched and was not well used. The characters are quite weak and even the villain is... Even the villain is forgettable, which makes us lose interest in the film quite quickly. In addition to the bad characters, most of them merely thought to be there or to die. We have, to ver- we have a very mediocre performance of the cast, made of the actors from the basic levels of drama to the point that even the protagonist is unable to comply with his task with a minimum of presence. The film's obsession with the romance of dating, in addition to the obvious gore, also did not help the cast to stand out. On the contrary... Technically, it's very bad. An interesting and dull cinematography with washed colors and extremely low contrast. Sets and costumes that are not interesting or remarkable and a virtually non-existent soundtrack. The only thing working fine is the visual effects and gore scenes. Mutilations and deaths seem real enough and there are a number of good ideas. Like the human heart cooking in the sausage pan on the body inside the washing machine. But this is not enough to make the film work. So this guy must have seen the... uh, the director's cut. Yeah, yeah. I felt like he listed everything about the movie. Um, went over it in detail. 
Yeah. That was a very thorough review for just really not to like it. You know, forgot, we forgot to talk about the heart in the boiling pot. And I love it that they, they look at it and go, what's that? And just toss it out. Yeah. Because all boiled meat just looks like a gray mass. Yeah, that's what it looked like. <laughs> and I was like, that's probably what happened. It just looked like a gray mass like everything does. Bo- boiling is the worst way to cook anything except for eggs. Yeah. I, I, just awful. Like when they're making boiled hot dogs, just, ugh. No, I don't like- Nobody wants that. Boil your seafood. That's yeah. fine. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Seafood boil. Perfectly fine. Hot dogs. What the fuck is the matter with you? Get out your pit. Do it the right way. Wow. Hey, I'm just saying. You, you know how it's got to go. Coming out hot. All right. Oh. <laughs> so I, this is a good one to talk about because this is Ebert and Siskel's, one of their more infamous reviews and moments is them talking about Black Christmas. No, not Black Christmas. Them talking about uh, My Bloody Valentine. And because of that, they actually cover on the show. So I have a clip right here. Uh, bear with me for the poor audio. I want to remind you guys, this is a VHS rip from the mid-80s. My Bloody Valentine, our next film, is another mad slasher going after mostly women victims, this time in a coal mining town. I'm really getting sick of these pictures. The movie starts right out by assaulting us. Even before we get to read the title, we see a woman in a state of undress get impaled on a pickaxe. Typical of adult thrills in the movie is a scene where the mad killer stalks his victim in a laundromat decorated for Valentine's Day. This is what leads to the dryer kill. Well, there's a disgusting new wrinkle in this kind of film. We see a middle-aged woman hacked apart. The big guessing game here, if anybody cares, and I sure didn't, is who is the crazed killer wearing the wetsuit and the miner's helmet? It turns out that his identity has to do with a killing that happened 20 years earlier on Valentine's Day in that same town. Gee, isn't that interesting. You want to see someone receive a bloody human heart in a Valentine-shaped candy box? Then you'll love my bloody Valentine. Gee, I guess I didn't love it very much. Was it only two? We're not fans. We were praising a movie called Halloween. We thought it was kind of nice, had some style and wit to it. This movie is about the seventh direct ripoff of Halloween. We have New Year's Evil, Prom Night, Friday the 13th, Terror Train. I forgot about New Year's Evil. Something terrible happens 20 years ago, 10 years ago. I think Terror Train is New Year's Eve. And all the teenagers get together in the same place, the old train or the old deserted mine shaft or something, and the berserk maniac comes down on them with a knife or a pickaxe or something. It's First of all, it's disgusting. Secondly, it's so appalling really that it's in imagination. You would think that they could at least come up with a new disgusting angle. Yeah, I'm uh, sitting there wondering why these people get involved in these films. I mean, what do uh, the women think who are getting pickaxes thrown at them? What do they think they're contributing to art? And I also, as you rattle off that list of names, I'm thinking <laughs> of all those hours we've both logged in movie theaters, slumped uh-huh. over in our seats, just shaking our heads. Boy, I wish this trend would really end. Boy, well, what and they never made another slasher movie again. That's a good sign. Let's move on to a much better <laughs> Never, movie. ever. We were both disgusted by my bloody Valentine, the latest mad slasher movie named after a holiday. Another two no votes for that one. By the way, this is, they gave it no votes. This is before they came up with the thumbs up or down system. Wow. Yeah, it's a clip from 81 or 82. All right, so 2009, here's a one-star review. Well, I didn't expect much, but I didn't expect it to be as bad as it actually is. This movie have nothing to offer except some graphic killings, and it seems this is the whole point of making the movie. Maybe it's fun to make gory scenes, and maybe the producer thought, hey, let's have fun and see if someone will pay to see what we made. The acting is bad to the point of laughable. 
It's poorly directed and basically you just end up laughing at all the stupidity. Then maybe this is the point. Maybe it's made bad to make fun of all the genre or the audience. I don't know. It sure isn't worth watching. You would think that they could be a bit more inventive and creative. It's not that hard. The fact that some people give this movie 10 stars is disturbing. Yeah, and I, I think he brings up a good point, which, by the way, I, I don't recommend the the reboot at all. I know I didn't end up saying that, but I, I don't recommend it in the least. And I think this is a movie, the original, that really just kind of yearns for a gritty reboot. It's, I think it's a fantastic idea to do it. And it's a shame the 2009 one was the best they could do. Yeah. You know, and they were more concerned with the 3D tech. And I mean, it's fine, but like, I think you can make a really dark and disturbing movie about this same kind of content or, you know, a fun, cheesy movie about it. Uh, it's a shame the 2009 film kind of tries to do both and it really ends up failing and they don't have the kind of director for it and they certainly don't have the writer for it. it the version that I saw of the original, this would be a gritty reboot. But I think the version that you saw negates that. Yeah, yeah, because I actually had the kills in it. Yeah. The gore was was about on par. So I think this is like a trashier 3D reboot as opposed to like a, a really gritty one. But no, I mean, I just as a solid remake. I mean, you could do a lot with the idea of like a minor trap down there and Valentine's Day driving him crazy. You could do a lot of fantastic imagery. It's a shame the 2009 film doesn't really move that direction, any direction in any which way. It just kind of wants to tell that same story again and just not even do it as well. Yeah. A, a solid a no recommend for me. Nope. Not. Same way with Cisco and Eber back then. It's a no vote. Yep. And if you think it uh, deserves a lot more, maybe a, a possible yes vote, maybe we should patent that. Oh, wait. Somebody already asked. Uh, you can let us know that at grittyrebootcast at gmail.com. Email us in the most 90s way possible. <laughs> and uh, you can also find us, uh, Gritty Reboot, at uh, TikTok and Instagram. We're on there quite a bit as well. And uh, Meredith, what are your socials? I don't have any socials. That's right. Fuck social media. She does not do that. You can find me, Illusions13, on Twitter. I'm rarely there, but occasionally I'll make a political meme that people hate. However, if some people start commenting on Meredith, you need to get a social. No one's coming. Then I'll get a social. But until that moment happens, we're going to get one person to respond and say, because the only response we ever had is people telling you you were stupid and Ready Player One's great. I'm, I'm all right with stupid. Yeah. like Yeah. Some guy was really aggressive about it. And I was like, I didn't know Ready Player One was that loved, but apparently it is. Cool. Hey, listen, what do I know? But hey, listen, we'll see you next week. And we'll have a, I don't know what we're doing next week, but we'll figure it out. Yep. We'll figure it out. <laughs> happy right. Valentine's Day. Yeah. Happy late Valentine's Day, guys. See you.